Now sometimes Christians will say, well, pastor, I'm a, I'm a little bit ashamed at times to share the gospel because I'm not sure that I am as good a Christian as I ought to be. Well, let me lift the fog off your mind. You're not. None of us are. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, a walk through God's Word with pastor and teacher Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of Romans and have just cracked the book, finding ourselves in chapter 1, verses 11 to 16, and a message entitled, A Church with a Great Commission. We have seen the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, express his passion for sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, wherever he went. This passion was born out of his love for Jesus and the fact that he had been delivered from damnation into an eternal relationship with God. As we pick up, we find how eager the Apostle really was and how we as believers should share that eagerness. Not only did he say, I am under obligation, but Paul also said, so, for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, why was he so determined? Well, there are two hints that are found in this verse. Number one, Paul was determined because he knew this was the best news. He knew that this was the best news. Now, what is it that makes Paul so eager to preach the gospel? Well, for starters, let's define some terms. What does he mean by the term gospel? Well, the Greek word, when it's used in noun form, is euangelion. The, the verb is euangelizo. And we get our word evangelism and evangelical. Uh, the, the, the noun just meant good news. The verb meant to preach or to share good news. But understand, if you lived in the first century, it didn't have a religious connotation necessarily. In fact, if you look at ancient Greek literature, you'll discover that more often than not, it's used in non-religious ways. It just referred to good news. If you were a student and you passed a very difficult exam, your gospel that you might share is, I passed. That would be your gospel regarding your schooling. It might in some cases be a miracle too. If you were fighting a war and you discovered that your, 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 the person in the foxhole with you had not yet heard that the war was over, your good news to him would be the war is over. If you're a couple and you're going to have a baby, your gospel, your good night news might be it's a boy or it's a girl. It's used repeatedly in a non-religious sense of any good news. But Paul is not just talking about any good news. It's articular in verse 16. He's talking about the good news. What he has already called the gospel of God. It's not just good news. It is the gospel. The good news. And the good news that Paul is going to unfold for us in chapter 3 is that man who is sinful, who deserves the wrath of God, has been provided with a substitute so that God can welcome sinners. So he will later write to Timothy. It is a trustworthy statement deserving our full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. That's good news. And if you understand that you are a sinner and that your sin deserves God's wrath and that God placed and burned his wrath out on a cross, 
then you are understanding the essence of the gospel. Listen, we do the gospel a tremendous disservice to invite people on the basis of becoming happier and becoming more joyful and having better kids or a better marriage or anything else you can think of. That is not the basis on which God calls people in the Bible. God says, by nature, we are children of wrath. Jesus said, the one who believes has life. The one who does not believe, the wrath of God is upon him. God's good news is that you can be delivered from the wrath of Almighty God. And so Paul knew this was the best news this world could ever hear. But also, Paul was determined because this best news needed to be shared. Again in verse 15, so for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Has your eyes been opened by God Almighty to the meaning of the gospel? Has he saved you? If he has, then why are you reluctant to share? Good news is, is, is news to share. You know, you have a baby, you pick up the phone. Hey, Dad, we had a little girl. You get engaged, you call your friends, I'm engaged, he asked me to marry me. Listen, if I had a cure for cancer, it would be very self-centered, very selfish of me to withhold that cure. But I have something far greater than a cure for cancer. I have a cure for eternal death, and it is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are to share it. And this is the kind of determination that drove the Apostle Paul. He knew that people were under the wrath of God and needed to be delivered. And so he did anything. He went anywhere. Under whatever circumstances he would face, he went to share the gospel. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he reminds them that he was not like the false teachers who had come into their church who were there just to fill their wallets with money. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane because they're not, of course. Then I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure apart from such external things there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches earlier in the epistle when he describes these hardships notice how he refers to it therefore he says we don't lose heart but though our outer man is decaying yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. All of this heartache is nothing but momentary light affliction compared to the glory that is coming. So he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Because the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see why this little Jewish man could turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ? The answer is found right here. He was determined, even if it meant great hardship, 
Because it was good news and good news, he was determined needed to be shared. Now, there's the Apostle Paul's debt. There's the Apostle Paul's determination. Third and finally, I want you to see the Apostle Paul's declaration. I want you to think about his declaration. What we find here in verse 16 is Paul's declaration of absolute confidence and the gospel of Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now the Lord knew that unbelievers as a way of life would be ashamed of Jesus Christ. That's why some people will never come down the aisle and say, I want to be baptized and publicly declare Christ. If that's the tenor of their heart, they've got good reason to doubt their conversion. But God also knows that a true child of God can be tempted to be ashamed of Christ. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, he said, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, he said, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Then he'll say, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know the one I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard that which he has entrusted to me until that day. Paul knew that even children of God could be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. He knew that the message that we preached would be foolishness to some, and a stumbling block to others because it undermines self-righteousness and it challenges self-indulgence, as he will argue in 1 Corinthians 1. Listen, wherever you go and you preach the gospel, it invites opposition, ridicule, contempt, and sometimes even persecution. So how is it that Paul, and how do we overcome this temptation to be ashamed of the gospel? Well, the text tells us. Did you notice how these three I am statements are inseparably linked to one another by the Spirit of God who inspires the text of Scripture? There's a progression of thought here, and I do not want you to miss it. He writes in verse 14, I am under obligation. And verse 15 begins, so or thus in the old NAS, for my part I am eager. Circle that word so, would you? It's a connective word. The NIV paraphrases it by saying, that is why I am eager. And then notice the very first word of verse 16. Circle the little word for. Now it's found in 15 English texts that I have. But it's missing out of the NIV, unfortunately. And that's why I told you that you need a formal equivalent translation of the Bible. There are different kinds of translations. And a formal equivalent, as best as you are able, takes word for word the original languages and puts it into the receptor language. The NIV is what we would call a dynamic equivalent. In that while it, at times it does word for word, very often it paraphrases and it does thought for thought. But if if you want to study scripture, if you want to be a serious student of the word of God, then get a more literal text because the word for is not here and yet it's the crux of Paul's argument and I don't want you to miss it. There's a flow of thought here that the Spirit of God links together in these three connective words. Look at your text. I am under obligation, so or thus I am eager. 
For or because I am not ashamed. And why are you not ashamed? Because it is the power of God. And so these three affirmations are linked together in a chain of cause and effect. Negatively, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Positively, I'm eager to share the gospel. Why? For two reasons. Number one, it is a debt to humanity that he needed to discharge. And secondly, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the first, as a debtor, gave him a set of obligation. He had been entrusted just like you have. He had been given a stewardship that he needed to give and to share with other people. But then the second reason gave him a sense of conviction. He knew that if the gospel could change him, it could change absolutely anyone. And so with that cause and effect relationship established, I want you to see three reasons Paul gives as to why he is not ashamed of the gospel. First, Paul is not ashamed about the person of the gospel. And of course, the person of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not ashamed of Christ. Indeed, he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He has already referred back into verse 1 to the gospel as the gospel of God. In verse 3 of this chapter, he calls this the gospel concerning his son. In verse 9, he speaks of the gospel of his son. Simply said, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. Now understand, in Paul's day, potentially, there were many reasons why he and others could be ashamed of taking the gospel to Rome. First of all, Jesus was a Jew. And Jews were considered a despised minority in the first century. And this Jew was crucified. And crucifixion was the basis of all deaths. It was done to the hardest of criminals. And this Jew wanted to come to a city called Rome to represent a message that came from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of a tiny little place that the Romans had conquered. But Rome was a mighty and proud city and it was the capital of the whole empire. And so why put your faith in a Jew who had been crucified, whose movements were headquartered from Jerusalem? In addition, he would have reason to be ashamed because both tradition and the Bible teaches us that he was small in size, plain in appearance. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, it says his appearance, speaking of Paul, was unimpressive. And he was considered contemptible in speech. He was not a great orator. Add all to that, he was a member of a despised minority movement. Not only was he a Jew, he was a Christian Jew. Yet, Paul said, I want to go and preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, number one, because of the person of the gospel. He knew that it represented God Almighty in human flesh. He has already said for us in verse 4 that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And I pray that I would never be ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ. Now sometimes Christians will say, well, pastor, I'm a, I'm a little bit ashamed at times to share the gospel because I'm not sure that I am as good a Christian as I ought to be. Well, let me lift the fog off your mind. You're not. None of us are. Listen, this gospel is not about you. 
This gospel is about the person of Jesus Christ. I heard of a converted businessman who was asked to share his testimony in front of his church. And he was already nervous. And while he's on the platform, a, a note is handed to him from some Pharisee in the back. And he reads it. And the note said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. After all the things that you've done to stand up there, you have the nerve and the gall to tell us how to live. Well, that kind of shook him a little bit. And he went to the platform and he read the note. And in the note, it talked about how the fact that he had been a dishonest businessman, that he had been a drunk, that he had been unfaithful to his wife. And he opened the note and he read everything in the note word for word. And he said, yes, I am ashamed of my past. But I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ who has forgiven me and saved me through his gospel. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the gospel of God. It is the gospel concerning his son. It is the gospel of Christ. And it is the gospel that is for everyone who believes. So number one, he's not ashamed of the person of the gospel. Number two, he's not ashamed of the power of the gospel. Look again in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Now this word salvation is a great theological word that Paul mentions in kernel form, but he's going to take chapters 3 through 8 to unfold for us. And he will speak of three dimensions of our salvation. He will speak of the fact that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. He will refer to that as justification. He will speak of the fact that we've been saved from the power of sin. He will refer to that as sin. Sanctification, and he will speak of the fact that we've been saved, we will someday, praise the Lord, be saved from the very presence of sin, and he will call that glorification. So the purpose of the gospel in Paul's mind is to get men and women, boys and girls, out of hell, into heaven, into a personal life-changing relationship with the Lord. Listen, one of the problems in our day is that many preachers and many Christians are too engaged in fighting social evils. Now, I'm not afraid to, uh, to address the social evils of our day, especially when the Bible addresses them. But our job is to keep first things first. And our job first and foremost is not to deal with the social ills of the day. It is to preach the gospel. And I think one of the reasons our nation and the body of Christ is in such desperate, weak, sick condition is because we have lost perspective. You think about it. Take abortion, for instance. You can persuade a man to be against abortion without making him a Christian. I've reasoned with people medically, logically, and they said, yeah, it's obviously wrong. It's not something we should do. But you cannot make him a Christian without making him against abortion. Because if he is born again, if he is a new creature in Christ, he has the mind of Christ, a new ability to understand, and a new ability to see things that he never saw. And so our primary responsibility as Christians is not to focus on the social issues, but on the preaching of the gospel. Now understand, Rome. Rome was a place that boasted in its great power, much like politicians boast in the fact that we in America are one of the great superpowers of the world. And up until this time in human history, it had a military machine that was second to none. But with all of its power, Rome was a pathetically weak nation. The ancient philosopher Seneca called it a cesspool of iniquity. 
It was covered over with prostitution, immorality, drunkenness, widespread homosexuality, all kinds of social injustices that eventually rotted it from the inside and caused it to fall. Juvenile uh, called it the filthy sewer into which all the dregs of the empire flows. Is it any wonder that Paul wanted to take the gospel to the city at Rome. He had been confident over its power. He had seen it work in wicked cities like Corinth and Ephesus, and he was convinced that it could transform lives in this city. It's the power of God. You see that word power. It's the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamic and dynamite from it. There is no other power under heaven like the power of the gospel. There is no power in the whole earth that God has to forgive sin but the power of the gospel. There is no power that God has to really truly change a person's life and character apart from the gospel. I mean we say wonder working power, 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 wonder working power in the gospel. But do we really believe it? Paul did. And so he wanted to take the gospel to Rome because he knew there was no other way for men to be forgiven. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and I pray that you'll never be ashamed. So he was not ashamed because of the person of the gospel, because of the power of the gospel. Third, Paul was not ashamed because of the plan of the gospel. Please notice God's plan here in verse 16. This gospel, Paul tells us, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. Can you think of anything more significant than that? Suppose God said, anyone who wants to be saved, everyone who wants to be saved must uh, run a half a mile. You say, oh, that wouldn't be too bad. Except, of course, if you're crippled and in a wheelchair and disabled in some form. Suppose God said, everyone who wants to be saved, well, he needs to read a chapter in the Bible. You say, well, that would be easy. Except for the fact that 25% of the world of the 7 billion people on the planet are illiterate. Well, suppose God said, everyone who wants to be saved needs to be baptized. You say, well, that's easy enough. Unless you live in Somalia or the Horn of Africa where they're, they're just screaming for a drink of water. They have no water to bathe, much less to grow their crops or to be baptized in. No, God says his plan of salvation is for everyone who believes. God does not ask men first to behave. God asks men first to believe. He asks you to come without any works. He asks you to come broken, bankrupt, helpless, and to look to Christ and his cross alone to flee the wrath of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. It is so simple that very often the intellectual, the college professor will stumble over it but a little boy like the one in the last service will embrace it with all of his heart. People, they, they ask you to be baptized to be saved. People today ask you to be a church member to be saved. But no, the scripture says to everyone who believes. Now, if you're truly saved, you'll want to be baptized. If you're truly saved, you'll want to become a member of a New Testament local church. But those are not the uh, root of salvation. Those are the fruits of salvation. Vance Havner was a very colorful preacher in the 20th century. And only as he could say it, he said, if you want to tell a man how to get saved, put him in a barrel, nail it shut, 
drill a little hole, and then shout through the, the hole everything that he needs to do. That's the gospel that Paul was unashamed of. It is on the basis of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and it will change a person's life. Some 30 years ago, an Illinois family was returning from their vacation, and the car began to overheat. And they were only about two miles from home, and the dad thought, I, I can push it, we can make it there. I did that once myself. I was literally two miles from home, the thing overheated, and I blew a head gasket. And as he uh, saw the temperature max out and he was looking down at the gauge, he, he wasn't paying close enough attention and that front right wheel caught the soft shoulder and carried his car down an embankment and rolled it over and over and over. Miraculously, he being the only one without a seat belt was thrown out of the car with only a few scrapes and bruises. He ran down the hill to help his wife and his two children in the back but the car doors were so badly bent and damaged, he could not open them up. His wife was moaning and groaning on the front seat. Both children still strapped into their car seats, crying and screaming. He said, I need to get help. And so he began to make his way up that embankment. And he heard his wife moan out. And he looked back and his heart jumped. Because underneath the car, that exhaust system was red hot. And it began to ignite the little grass fire beneath it. So he ran as fast as he could and he began to flag down cars trying to get people as he's covered in mud and filth to stop. And they went by one car after another in that North Chicago suburb until finally one man stopped. And he got out of his car and he, he looked over the crest of the hill. He said, oh, please help me. My, my family's trapped. Do you, do you have something we can break a window with? I, I need your help. Please help me. Please help me. And the man looked and he said, sir, I don't think I can get involved. I could be sued. He got in his car and he drove off and he continued to try to flag down people and then suddenly an explosion and his whole family was engulfed in flames and perished. You see that cruel, callous, uncaring, heartless, hard-hearted man who didn't even attempt to help? Indeed he was. But I wonder how many of us are so uncaring knowing that people are on the broad road to destruction headed towards a lake of fire. Oh, we sing it, but do we mean it? Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. We are to snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. We're to weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. But how many of us are really doing it? It is a commission that God gave to you, that he gave to me, that he gave to the whole body of Christ. Three clear, plain I am statements. I'm under obligation. I am eager. And I am not ashamed. Would to God that that would be said of my life and yours as well. To listen again to today's study from Romans chapter 1, entitled, A Church with a Great Commission, Use the Search the Scriptures app for iPhones and Android devices or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for program ROM3. The Bible tells us that man makes his plans, but God directs the steps. And so it is with our trip to Israel. Earlier this year, we had scheduled an 11-day visit to the Holy Land in October, 
but a resurgence of the COVID pandemic has caused the Israelis to put a halt to tourist traffic. Consequently, we've rescheduled our trip for May of 2022. Now, this is good news if you'd wanted to go, but for whatever reason, didn't sign up. The deadline for this amazing trip of a lifetime is now February 11th. You won't want to miss out as Pastor Brogy leads a group of Search the Scriptures listeners through many of the locations outlined in the Bible. Find out more by visiting stsisraeltour.com. This trip is paid for exclusively by those participating in the excursion. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll ask and answer the question, Are the untold billions really lost? Join us then as we search the scriptures.